0: Welcome to the ALN podcast series. If you like what you're hearing, you can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55,000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55,000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast.
1: Well, uh, thrilled to have uh, Tom Smith with us here today. Uh, One of the most memorable and life-changing or, but very interesting at least, experiences of being involved in the ISO 55,000 process is all the amazing people that I got to meet and work with from the United States and around the world. Uh, You know, as a head of delegation, I quickly uh, learned that Tom had a, a very amazing and strong voice and knowledge and background in asset management and quickly gained the respect of delegates from around the world. So uh, he was a huge boon to the initial process and is still involved today. So uh, welcome, Tom, it's great to have you. Where where are you today?
2: I'm at home on my uh, back porch in uh, sunny and pretty hot uh, Madison, Wisconsin.
1: How warm is it there today?
2: Low nineties, I think yeah I don't, I don't pay a lot of attention because it doesn't do any good. so <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> ah, that's great. Uh, I had the chance several years ago, Tom hosted a, a class, a sort of a trial class, I guess at the time, and I got to go up to visit uh, the University of Wisconsin madison campus and uh, some of their facilities there and take a class with Tom and some, had some great discussion. It's a lovely place. I'd never been there before. Uh a beautiful campus. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. So Tom, we usually start with an origin question, you know. Uh so uh if you know where you are today, how did you get there? How did how, you know what's your asset management journey or however you want to tell the story?
2: Asset management journey, uh yeah, you know, that's better. We don't we don't want to do the life journey, we'll just do asset management. So um <laughs> Actually, when I came to the university as a graduate student, I was in environmental studies, and I worked in uh, environmental management um, as a graduate student and uh, as uh, after graduate school um, for quite a few years, uh, five, between five and 10 years, and mostly in the utility sector, mostly environmental impacts of uh, power generation and transmission distribution. and. Uh, uh, then I had an opportunity. Not surprisingly, uh, there are a lot of people who don't want a power plant or a transmission line in their backyard. And uh, so the solution is conservation. And I had a chance to pursue um, some opportunities and through the university extension, actually, in developing programs in energy management and en- energy conservation. Started out mostly in the residential sector and shifted to where I was working mostly in the commercial sector, um, large commercial facilities, uh, some residential, but mostly retail office, um, sports complexes, hotels, things like that. So when I heard about asset management, it was kind of a natural. I focused on facilities um, and on infrastructure assets, but from an environmental or an energy standpoint, never from a kind of pure managing for their own sake standpoint. So when I had a chance to learn about asset management and what it was, I joined the Institute for Asset Management, started to read stuff, and then I had a chance to join the uh, delegation. I really just uh, Googled it to see what it was all about and got, got sucked into the vortex. So <laughs> became part of the standards writing group, but um, It you know comes out of an interest in energy and environmental management and a fair bit of experience there, almost all of it in the private sector, I would say, Um, and that's uh, something of a disadvantage uh, or something of an advantage however you look at it because I'm sometimes a little perplexed by how we make decisions in the public sector and particularly. Often wish for a little more business-like approach to public sector decision making. So um, that's that's neither neither conservative nor liberal. It just um, I see where as many areas we were we could be a heck of a lot more effective. Um, and uh, so that's that's Probably where I would say I'm spending most of my time now.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, if we could get the government to sort of think about what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I think our ALN perspective is if we had one ask, it's have an asset, uh, strategic asset management plan. So you think about what you're doing with your assets. Is,
2: uh, well, one of our colleagues um, has worked, uh, um, coming out of a military background, has worked with uh, a National Academy study. And really what they're promoting there is a. Um, A revolving fund for facilities maintenance and you know if we're going to do facilities management and maintenance with just through capital appropriations if we're not going to to put money aside on a regular basis to fund the things that we know have to be funded and every every uh, leaky roof becomes a a capital appropriation i mean that's that's not a good way to do business and uh somehow we've got to get beyond if we ever want infrastructure to work we've got to get beyond this um this approach and you and, and on the corollary to that which is true with the university and other places you get you get a lot of credit for cutting ribbons but you don't get a lot of credit for repairing concrete and you know that's where the where asset management needs more advocates is in fewer in cutting ribbons and more in repairing concrete but there's not a lot of glamour in in concrete repair
1: yeah for sure for sure well uh, as we were coming on Tom asked me about my background and this is uh, this is the uh, John Lennon wall from Prague where when John Lennon died people went to this one area and I can't remember why in Prague and there was a a big long wall around half a city block and they started doing graffiti in honor of John Lennon and they tried to stop it and then they finally embraced it and people come there and paint over what's already there on and on and on Uh, so uh, Tom you know uh, what are your thoughts on the, the personal experience of getting to travel around the world and meet interesting people and uh, be involved in the ISO 55000 process?
2: Well, like you said, I've made a lot of good friends doing this and uh, enjoyed the work. Um, get into a few arguments occasionally, but um, um, I've met some really talented people, some really good people in this process, and um, learned a lot, absolutely learned a lot myself from, uh, from a variety of standpoints. Um, you know, they're Roughly 35, 37 countries involved, probably 50 or roughly 50 to 70 people who've been more or less regular, you know, for the last 10 or so years on this. So the, the, the cast changes a little bit to a pretty solid core and a pretty good representation of countries with, with pretty different views of assets and um, different private public sector mixes and different levels of government involvement. So I think that's uh, you learn a lot from that because we we can tend to focus on the U.S. experience and and miss a lot of what's going on in the rest of the world, miss the opportunity to learn um, from all kinds of
1: places. Yeah, but yeah, have a, a anything in particular you could share you could share as a as a lesson learned.
2: Well, <laughs> so anybody. Uh, Yeah, I'll give you a quick one. I drove to Chicago last weekend to see my son. Anybody who's spent any time driving around the US um, will encounter lanes closed uh, for highway construction. And um, the department I was in, we had a a number of people involved in in, uh, infrastructure. And one of our highway experts explained to me lane closure. which is that the barrels go to the low bid barrel contractor. So if you're the low bid barrel contractor, you're gonna put out as many as you can once and not take them down until you have to. So when you're driving down the interstate or a highway and there are barrels after barrels after barrels and nothing happens, that is a result of the low bid barrel contract. There are other countries and England is one of them where if you're gonna do work on the roadway, you rent the lane and you pay for the privilege of, you get paid to do the construction, but you pay pay to have the lane closed. So there's a whole lot more incentive to only close it when you need to close it, rather than putting out the barrels in May and leaving them sit until October. Um, so think about renting the lane when your next time you're driving past barrel after barrel after barrel and uh, realizing um, that there are probably better ways to do business. <laughs> so I started out by talking about business. I mean, closing lanes uh, affects a lot of people.
1: It does, it does. And it and, and highlights the idea of, you know, the assets in our personal life. Uh, you know, we think there's, uh, I think, a built-in uh, prejudice to think about assets as being things we own. You know the sidewalk in front of your house, the road your car drives down, uh, whether it's open or closed, are all things that provide value to to you. So uh, certainly assets from a ISO fifty five thousand perspective uh, yeah. shared by lots. Of you, people.
2: you get take you you take them for granted, um, and one of the problems with our physical assets is that we have generally when we engineer something we put in a big safety factor and. Uh, uh, things last, have lasted longer than their, quote, <laughs> expected life in many areas. So we've gotten away with um, abusing, abusing things, um, both in industry and infrastructure. Yeah. That's not happening so much anymore um, because uh, the software has taken over so much of, of the function of, of asset management, and um, that has to be updated and renewed and so forth. So. As technology changes, that uh, infrastructure life um, shortens. Significant uh, pieces of it shorten. You know, the pipes and pumps don't shorten, or the but um, the lanes shorten as truck traffic uh, life shortens as truck traffic increases. Um,
1: um, so uh, maybe segueing off that a little bit is. I know you have. I've heard some good stories that you have with the different organizations you've worked with or uh, had a chance to interact with but uh, people are always looking for that good you know the case study show me the case study that says i should go out and do this tomorrow but you know uh, do you have a, you know uh, can you share a, a brief uh, story of an organization you've worked with that you know that it's easy for people to perceive the benefit from asset management
2: oh yeah i i ha- i did a, an introductory session for a group a couple of weeks ago and um, it's very tempting when you're talking about asset management to, to write definitions on the board and then write principles and write theory and um, that just puts people to sleep. So I, I've gone to uh, storytelling. Uh, if I wanna talk about asset management, I, I tell stories and then if, if one of the stories happens to hit, then um, we can elaborate on what's involved in the story um, so the, the last group I talked to, I told a story about a bank, a brewery, a bank, a brewery, a department store in the zoo and uh, tried to get something out of each of those that people would understand. So, um, I'll, I, you know, I'll tell you a story about Target department store, uh, which is headquartered in Minneapolis um, competes on, on image. I mean, uh, you know, Target is clean and neat and well-lit and, and, uh, people go there because of the way it's, it's built in the way it's managed and the way it presents itself. And I expect anybody on the call who has been to Target understands that, but they have an asset management program. And I was, happened to be there visiting talking about asset management when they were looking at an issue, um, called low water cleaning, which is to clean the store before opening, they used to start at 3 a.m. so that the floors would be dry for a 7 a.m. opening. So they understood that they could do a low water cleaning, less less water, less evaporation time, start at 5 instead of 7, 2,000 stores seven days a week around the country, that's a lot of hours. so the, the asset management team consisted of the people who, the interior designers who select the floor coverings, the purchasing people who select the floor covering, the maintenance people who have to maintain them, all getting together saying, is this going to work? How are we going to do it? We're going to get satisfied customers. We're going to have problems. And then um, the parking lot people. Well, why do you need parking lot people? Because where does the dirt come from? It comes from the sand and salt on the parking lot and the northern winters or the dust in the summer. And then the team of engineers uh, who design their entryways, which are designed to collect the dirt and keep it off the escalators <laughs> and keep it off the floors. So you, all of a sudden you've got a asset management, it, an area where most folks would say what's is trivial, but it's at the heart of a clean store, an appealing store and the interrelationship of the people and the assets and the vendors and the inside and the outside. And when you look at, and the reason I told this story was that when you look at the costs in a commercial building, um, almost 10 years ago, a little over five years ago, the cost of cleaning, custodial costs, overtook energy costs in most big cities. So if you're running a commercial establishment, you're paying more for cleaning than you are for energy. We spend all this time about energy, but I never heard anybody talking about cleaning. And I've never seen a clean, cleanability task force or an architect with a shingle that says, um, I design for cleanability. You know, I'm a lead certified designer, but am I a cleanability certified designer? So, next time you're uh, walking around in a commercial establishment or anywhere, look at how this thing gets cleaned and what you could imagine could be done to make it quicker, easier, cheaper and safer to clean. And there's a heck of a lot, um, both in terms of the design operation, customer training, you name it. And, and that's to me that, that's the, that we call that management of assets maybe rather than asset management. That's a, a seemingly trivial, but absolutely core example of why you have to put all the pieces together and think it through. Nice. And that that's hard work.
1: Yeah. So it reminds me of uh, of a neighbor uh, who works in healthcare and for the government, and he was involved in a team looking at uh, the spread of inf- infections. I think at VA hospitals, uh, and they had looked at all sorts of things, and then they finally figured out a huge factor was the cleaning crew. The cleaning crew okay. was coming in with mops and buckets and cleaning one room after another with the same mop and bucket yep. and the same water. Yep. Uh, so all the high-tech stuff wasn't what it was about.
2: No, and that's, I say it's a, it's, sometimes I, people say this is a trivial example, but to me, it's at the heart of putting all the pieces together, the people pieces, the purchasing pieces, the uh, image, the, the brand is, you know, if you go right to the heart of the brand, what makes the brand, what makes people want to come to your place and that translates to managing the assets.
1: Oh, oh good. So, uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about was I know you worked on a, a paper on integrated asset management uh, with the uh, Aussie engineering people. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rob Lewis, who is a colleague uh, um, uh, with uh, Australian. Uh, just recently retired from Australian DoD, um, and I worked on a paper for the uh, Australian Ma- uh, Asset Management Council of Australia for their April conference. We wrote a paper on integrated management systems, and we came to this. Um, I'm on the council for uh, ANSI National Accreditation Board, so this is the council that accredits the accreditors, like the, like ABS is uh, accredited by ANAB. Mm -hmm. So I'm part of the uh, group of people who um, looks at at those um, and eventually votes on those accreditations. Rob has a similar role with um, Jazz Ans, which is the council that does accreditation in Australia and New Zealand. And it's very clear that um, integrated systems, that is um, probably starting with uh, 9,000, 14,000, and then adding uh, other other standards is becoming the majority of, taking over the majority of the applications. Um, and we've heard es- estimates from 75 to 90% of the applications are going to be for integrated systems, where if you look at the high-level structure of the ISO standards, so much of the documentation, so much of the of the system is common across all the standards. So, right. you know whether it's uh, the data that you're collecting, the the uh, management structures that you um, y- illuminate uh, when you're putting things together. Um, there's an awful lot in common, and an organization can say can gain a lot of traction, a lot of leverage by integrating those audits um, and integrating the information presented to the auditors so this is coming along pretty fast and um, and there's also uh, traction in internally in not having to redo that that audit um, trail every every time if you talk to somebody who's in the uh, principal for fourteen thousand nine thousand fifty five thousand you know you get pretty tired you get tired and and your colleagues get tired of uh, Tom comes comes to them. Oh, guess what? We're having an audit. You know, we need we need three days out of your week because we got to get ready for this audit. And then two months from now, oh, guess what? We're having another audit. Um, you're not the most popular person in the place when you start to do multiple audits for for these standards. So being able to combine them, being able to combine the approach into one as much as possible into one. Uh, saves wear and tear on the organization and saves some auditing costs so we just wrote a paper about how how this how quickly this is happening and uh, I think I interviewed about three dozen either asset owning organizations or consultants or um, certifying bodies um, to see what they thought about where this was going but it's clearly clearly the way that ISO standards are going. And um, whether we will get to a single management system with a variety of add-ons for the various fields,
1: yeah.
2: or whether we're going to continue to have individual systems. Right now you're each of them, each of them is accredited separately, although the audits um, can be combined um, to a f- to a certain extent, um, if the auditors and the organization are ready for this, so there's work to be done, but it's it seems to me a, an absolutely reasonable way to, to go after this stuff because the structure, you know, we've spent all this time and effort to synchronize the high-level structure across all the standards. So, and they, you know, and they come on it, it, you know, one standard is popular. 45,000 right now um, is, is it for safety and, and health is very popular. People building their building systems around that. 27,000 in the internet, in, in, internet or data security standard is growing very, very fast. So, um, you know, it's kind of like a horse race, different. Different group, different issues. Take the lead at different times in terms of pulling along the organizations and who's who's who needs what when. Um, so, a, 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 an integrated approach seems to make an awful lot of sense
1: to me. So, so beyond the uh, the ISO perspective, what uh, what does your crystal ball say about the future of asset management?
2: I'll say one more thing about the integration. And uh, we wrote not just about ISO standards, but about integration across standards. Mm -hmm. Um, ISO 9000 have been been around since the mid eighties. And that management system structure has been copied into many, many um, government and industry standards. So it is possible to build an integrated approach to, to standards which cuts across both the inter- ISO international standards but across industry and national standards as well. And I think that's, I wouldn't wanna leave without saying that that seems to me a huge opportunity um, for making sense out of the world that you're living in. Worked with a, um, a big real estate developer in New York City who could, who could count more than 3,000 code standards rules regulations that applied to uh, you know a multifaceted development in, in Manhattan so keeping all those straight, keeping all those together there's an asset management task in itself but I think that that one's worth worth some thought. Uh, where are we going in asset management? I don't know um, I see, I mentioned that most of my work has been in the private sector. There are huge, huge advances in automated, in data gathering and in automated decision making in the private sector, particularly in manufacturing. And um, there are huge advances in uh, not just outsourcing, but in assets as a service that are coming into the manufacturing and, and commercial sectors. Um, those have to hit at some point into public infrastructure. I mean, um, and I think we're we really need to pay attention to those developments. And I've tried to advocate for a lot more attention to data and, and data-driven decision making, and and you know, in many ways, uh, automated decision making for for many areas of asset management. Um, and there's a lot out there, but it's it's um, it's frightening stuff. I mean, it's the level of data that we can collect and process, and the, our ability to process that, and the the biases that sneak in when we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all there, but they have to be they have to be addressed. I I think head in the sand won't do it. And um, when particularly when I talk to public infrastructure people, I think well somebody's going to come along and offer to take over your railroad, you know, or your street or your bridge or whatever it is and sell it back to you at a profit. So are you ready for that? Do you know how to to negotiate that? Do you know what to ask for? Do you know what the effects will be? You know, you want to build a digital twin. Okay. That's one thing. If you're building a factory, it's another thing if you're building an airport, um, all the stuff is going to be possible, but it needs some real serious thought and engagement. And so Nick, Nick's about the right age to pursue this stuff. So when I talk to groups, I always ask her anybody in the room who's under 30, because I say <laughs> meet me afterwards, because this is your problem. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, that's why I'm here participating and uh, learning, and I hope to be involved going forward. Uh, briefly, before I let you guys have a closing word, I just wanted to say thank you to our sponsors again, uh, patron sponsors, ABS Quality Evaluations and onuma Systems, as well as our other organizational members. We are really grateful for the support all these organizations give to the Asset Leadership Network, because things like this would just not be possible without it. Uh, and especially abs quality evaluations and their parent abs group Uh, they are a sponsor of this alien thursday at four program uh, for the month of june 2021 and if you want to learn more about either of those it's abs-qe.com or abs-group.com and then on june 24th we will have tim ingram on this program and with that i will pass it back to you guys for closing words
1: Uh, I don't know, Tom. You got uh, you got a few more minutes for some uh, a couple. I saw some other questions pop up in the chat. You have have a few more minutes to spend with us. Sure,
2: happy to. I'd like to hear what people think about what I said and if I made sense to anybody. So, please, if (laughs) you want me to open the chat and look at it, or do you want to do that?
1: Well, uh, Mike's been uh, texting me with some uh, forwarding some things. Mike, you want to join us and uh, share a couple of those questions? There it is.
4: Nice uh, nice surprise uh, join there, Jim. Thanks for <laughs> asking. Um, <clears throat> there was a question about um, how can government change what they are measuring so that instead of getting low bid contracts, we get contracts for least amount of road outage uh, because it's the owner who has to, I'm interpreting this question, but uh, it's the owner who has to determine what the measurements are gonna be. So if they're only contracting for low bid, then that's what they're gonna get. What, What kind of measurements focus on uh, results can be established for governments to start changing you know specifically for infrastructure
2: well, or you, you contract for performance and maybe you contract it you know over short term long term medium term but yeah it's cost and performance and um, and you've got a cost the disruption into it i mean that's you know that's ri- uh, risk disruption um, downtime, you know, those those are huge costs. I mean, this is, so the whole bid, you know, is one thing in terms of what you're paying for the barrels, but the, what you're paying for disruption is enormous. And that has to be factored into it. That's all. I mean, you, and so it's, that's as a management. You've you got to look at all the costs, not just the direct costs. I mean, you've got to look at all of them. And um, there are plenty of ways, I think, to, to, to design this um effectively but you no know, we're, we're used to just so we you know we, we're good stewards because we did a little bid right we saved the taxpayers money well is that i started off by saying we well, need to do this in a business-like way and and just saving the money is not the only thing on the agenda it's providing a service it, you know it's that road is a service you know what's the best way to provide that service and um uh sitting in a line of traffic uh between here and chicago on the weekend isn't a whole lot lot of fun as you you well know uh so
4: so i think uh performance-based contracts is one way that governments can start to start uh changing the outcomes of their infrastructure investment do you have any examples of uh performance-based contracts for this person, I, again, I'm extending their question, but.
2: Um, I, I would have to look outside the, I'm sure there are good ones uh, available in the U.S. I don't have any good examples right off the house. It doesn't
4: have to be in the U.S. To, are you just yeah. of any per, uh, good performance-based contracts, examples?
2: They have to let me dig a little bit in that. I'm afraid I can't. Uh, All right, I'll move on to the, the other question.
4: Um, that, um, Uh, how is the evolution of software impacting asset management and how will it impact the future of asset management?
2: Well, it's pretty hard. I mean, the software is part of the asset, right? I mean, you can't separate software and hardware in most cases anymore. And as the software evolves, what you will see is, uh, unless somebody's paying attention to that, it will evolve at different rates in different parts of the organization. You know, so take the value chain view of the organization from supply chain uh, through, through the man, you know, support manufacturing operations, all the support operations, unless you're really paying attention to that, you know, all the way through the logistics and sales. I mean, unless you're really paying attention to that, that software is is, is evolving at very different rates and and in the incompatibilities are, are just lurking right i mean and we see this mm-hmm. all the time that's uh, the other part is that we you know i talked about uh, revolving funds about updates you know again if we're if we're going to buy a system and not have um, update built into it you know we're going to end up like we have seen many times with organizations running seriously outdated software and not only outdated applications but outdated operating systems um, because they don't have they're not planning ahead to keep up with this um, and keep ahead of it so the budgeting model the capital budgeting model just simply has to be fixed in order to to stay up with the software and that and that software is is not only changing, but as we throw artificial intelligence into this mix, it's getting much, much, much more powerful and much, much more difficult to understand. Um, So uh, there's a huge challenge, I think, in where the the software fits.
1: So I I have one more question that I wanted to ask you, Tom, is... uh, we're, uh, you know, we're both working on uh, revisions to fifty-five thousand, fifty-five thousand one. Uh, you have a few words about what your uh, hopes and fears are of that process.
2: Well, sure. I said I, I would be very careful not to uh, <laughs> not to uh, overstate overstate my overstate my welcome here, but. Um, so when I, I, met the target example, I mentioned the asset manager who was in charge of that was appointed directly by the CEO who was, who understood and supported asset management. We're going nowhere in asset management without tap management commitment. And fundamentally asset management is a business process. It's the business understanding that assets are necessary to support the goals of the business and, and whether it's a public private business a, for profit or nonprofit, the assets there are to support the goals of the business. And we, I'm afraid are in danger of separating asset management from business management. You know, we are gonna play in a field that's where there's, and if you go back, you know, you can visualize the onion diagram of the asset management stops and then business management begins. Well, I think that's a terrible diagram. I think that's extremely misleading And that if asset management is not part of business management, overall business management, then it's going absolutely nowhere. And I'm afraid that we're looking at walling ourselves in to a restricted view of asset management that uh, does not engage the business, does not show the business how assets support them. So one of my things that I do when I'm in working with organizations, I find out who their brand manager is. I have an interview next week with a the brand manager for a large organization. You know, then every organization has a brand. You know, you've got a logo, you get a brand, you get one or two people working on it. The brand manager may be one of the most important people in the marketing group. So how do the assets contribute to the brand? Ask that question. And if you have a comprehensive answer, then I think you're in good shape. But know it has to be connected to the business fundamentally long term otherwise it's um we're going to be going around in circles two levels below where we should be
4: is anything in the discussions for the revitalization of uh, the iso uh, 55,000 standards uh, indicating that there's an understanding of this is there corrections to make sure that the asset management and business management stays connected I haven't seen it. It seems like the like the market is doing that based on what you're saying in terms of uh, using multi, uh, having integrated standard uh, certification. That's kind of positive. Oh yeah. Indicator.
2: It is positive. And yeah, the market the market's moving. <laughs> you know, and uh, the, the the my my fear if you asked for, about this standards is that it won't keep up with the changes in the market. And um, that guarantees obsolescence. As I say, there are other standards, uh, uh, safety and health is one and, and uh, security, uh, data security is another that are extremely uh, popular and moving very quickly. And um, so in a horse race, <laughs> Huh? What are the numbers on those 45,000, uh, which used to be 18,000, and 27,000? So, 45 is safety, and yeah, 27,000 is, is security. Well, you know, I mean, how much have we heard about cybersecurity lately?
4: Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, okay. Well,
4: it's good so, to know that that one's keeping up.
2: Well, and that goes that, that goes directly to the I mean, we just we've seen this. In water systems, pipeline, where, you know that, that's direct utility systems. that's direct control of the assets. But, I mean, that's just about as tied to asset management as you get it with somebody else comes in, controls your assets. I mean, yeah. It's
1: like so. stealing your car, you
2: know? Oh, worse.
1: Yeah, wow. well, we could probably go on, but I think maybe we're at a good point to uh, to bring it to a close today uh so tom is like to any final words you'd like to say or any anything that we should ask you that we did <laughs>
2: no i think i like mike's question and i think that um you know where we're going is that the marketplace is moving and um anybody who is involved in asset management um needs needs to look around um and and look forward not backwards as this this is going to change rapidly and the external pressures are, whether they're cybersecurity pressures or climate pressures or whatever, they all bear directly on the assets, and they're enormous, enormous. And we, we, you know, we can't wish them away. We can't put our heads in the sand. You know, I go out. When we're done here, I'm going to go back out in my yard and dig another hole, plant another bush, but. Uh, that gets me out of thinking about asset management for a few hours, so I <laughs> dig holes. But, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you no, know, I can't do it forever. So.
1: Yeah, so it occurs to me that kind of the first time around, alignment or some way of expressing line of sight you know, was a big topic. And that uh, what I hear from Tom is, and it sounds very prudent to me, is that this time we need to make integration the work the keyword that we need to build around. So, uh, Tom, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. I love your storytelling. You. You. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, even if it isn't over at a baseball game over a beer, uh, which we've had a chance to do a few times, but-
2: uh, Well, we, we need to know another baseball game and beer. Um, and I won't say anything about the breweries and the nationals.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> thanks <laughs> but we can you know we can go watch the anaheim angels those were entertaining games and, <laughs> or uh, or the cubs so uh, wherever wherever we happen to be I'm, I'm always up for a baseball game and a beer and
1: uh, now, tom and i are um, one baseball game in anaheim and it was christmas in july or something And it was like yeah we had got some giveaway that was a Guinness Book of World Records, most giveaways for Christmas in July or something silly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. But we yeah. have,
4: I was, was going to say, Tom, that I really appreciate your storytelling approach to asset management success. And uh, uh, we'll definitely make some uh, uh, snippets from uh, the case studies that you described and
1: share those with you.
2: No, you want to have me back some sometime in the fall. I'll tell the I'll tell the bank, the brewery, and the zoo stories. (laughs) The zoo ones for you. You're
4: you're invited. You got
2: us.
4: (laughs) Pick the date in the
2: fall. You want to come back? We'll talk about the zoo and its assets and its liabilities.
1: Sounds great. So thanks, thanks, uh, Tom. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Mike. And thanks to the everybody participating today and everybody that watches this on the various channels through which is available going forward. Uh, So have a great day and uh, see you next week on ALN Thursday at four.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and we would like to thank the Andrew James advisory group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com. You can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net.